Welcome to Kibi on Liberty. Connor, how's it going? I'm doing great, Matt. How are you? I got to tell you, I just read your new book and um, I've been red-pilled all over again. Um, your new book is called The Tuttle Twins Guide to True Conspiracies. And I, I got to recommend this to everybody. And, and I've, I've said this about other of, of your Tuttle Twins books, but it is, it is so clear and concise and explains very wildly complex stories in a simple way. And I got to congratulate you on that. Thank you. It was uh, tough to navigate the web of all these claims and theories and what did or didn't happen and try to distill it down. And, and my, my biggest concern probably was here I am doing a book about true conspiracies. I had to like triple fact check everything with our team to make sure that we had all our I's dotted and our T's crossed, but we're excited with how it ended up. And uh, I, I think what I want to do, um, we're, we're, we've promised and we've been working for the longest time to get together in person. I'd love to talk more in depth about the Tuttle Twins project, both the books and the shows in a whole different program. But I became obsessed about some of these conspiracies, particularly through the filter of current events. And I'm sure we'll, we'll bleed into current events when it comes to um, war and, and scientific government science experiments gone awry and uh, censorship and but but I, I see a pattern of really horrific and un-american things that the government has been doing to american citizens and and people across the world for quite some time and let's start with uh with media censorship because i there's obviously a big debate going on today about what um, a lot of these same alphabet agencies are doing with social media companies, but uh, your chapter two is Operation Mockingbird. What was that? So uh, Operation Mockingbird is when the CIA basically put a bunch of journalists on their payroll decades ago and uh, were basically planting friendly stories that uh, favored the CIA's preferred narrative of foreign relations and domestic policy. And uh, it was uh, in a Rolling Stone article in the 70s where it was finally outed. What had been known kind of quietly in a lot of circles for a while, but it exploded finally for the public view in this article that revealed uh, that that this financial arrangement had long existed uh, for years and that uh, all the, the big top you know TV stations and newspapers and magazines, many of them had correspondents and reporters who were in the pocket of the CIA, they were compromised. They had turned from from watchdogs into lapdogs. And, you know, there were hearings and the congressional oversight and, you know, ostensibly the program was shuttered. The chief contention, I guess, of this book is that if it happened then, is it really so unrealistic to think that it's happening now? So maybe this particular operation under this name did conclude and was wrapped up. But are we really going to fool ourselves into thinking that the government still does not try to influence the media and develop relationships with friendly journalists so that they can establish their preferred narrative in the media? I mean, that defies logic, I think. And that's the goal here with the book is say, look at operations like Mockingbird, look at these documented past examples. What can we learn from to apply to our situation today? 
One, one pattern that, that we'll see as we go through all these stories is that there's always an investigative journalist, uh, a rebel that discovers this, this malfeasance going on, publishes it, outs it. Um, and I, I found myself wondering during um, reading these chapters whether or not um, any of those people still exist in mainstream media. And I, I think the answer is probably no. Right. Yeah, I, I think they're few and far between. I mean, one name that does surface for me is Glenn Greenwald, of course, who rose to fame for publishing the Edward Snowden leaks. And uh, what I appreciate about Glenn uh, and, and few other journalists is that even though he comes from the left, uh, he's more of a progressive, uh, Democrat-leaning type of individual, uh, he is very willing to call out uh, members of his own tribe when they themselves are corrupt and favoring the military industrial complex and the surveillance state. And so I, I think ultimately what we need to do in terms of the media and journalists is not subscribe to any particular tribe or company or newspaper or whatever. Instead, I think we need to figure out who are the truth tellers who independently are able to speak their mind. But to your point, I think that that's a very unfortunately short list of, of people that might make it. You know, I, I use the word mainstream media. Um, uh, Michael Malice uses the word corporate media. And I think um, Glenn Greenwald is a great example of someone that started his own media company, The Intercept, and was forced out um, at some point because he was still doing this kind of uh, um, no, right. no holds barred investigative journalism. So I do think... Um, and I'm sort of jumping to the punchline here, but I think, I think, I think some of the most ham-fisted uh, censorship that was discovered was exposed by the Twitter files, both the FBI and 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 probably the CIA were involved in that. I I think they no longer have the ability to to write checks and and get corporate media in line. I I think that's why they've been so critical of Elon's takeover of Twitter. Absolutely. It's, I mean, even Biden uh, recently was complaining about uh, Twitter precisely for this reason. It's because they can't control it. Uh, Whether Twitter survives or not remains to be seen. But I I do think, especially with the advent of more decentralized technologies, empowering individuals to independently act is one of the greatest things I think that we can do for the truth. One of the challenges is that, especially when we're in the fog of war, when the propaganda is heavy, as it has been recently, you know, for Ukraine and Israel and all these things, it's very hard for the average individual to obtain reliable intelligence or knowledge as to what's actually happening. One of my key impressions from writing all this, especially where a lot of these conspiracies are from decades ago, well, why is that? It's because I wanted to only include the conspiracies that were documented, for which there was actual proof that they happened. There's a lot of current theories and speculations, some of which will be borne out to be true and others not. Uh, but we wanted to, to find the ones that were documented. And, and what you what I conclude when I come away from looking at this list is uh, how difficult, I mean, impossible it was for anyone at the time to know that that's what actually was happening. We have the benefit decades later of a certain declassified document or, you know, whatever. But at the time, like no blogger, no tweeter, no independent journalist uh, would likely have been able to uncover the truth. And so it really, I think, causes us and and I hope it causes our readers of of this book to develop quite a bit of skepticism of authority, number one, but then also patience. In other words, 
let's assume that we're being lied to and let's reserve judgment until a later time when we can figure out what's actually happening. Yeah. Distrust and then verify. I don't know who said that, but I just said that. Yeah. Just put it, put it in a meme right now. And so fast forward, um, this is much later in the book, but, uh, um, the, the federal government is by no means, and these agencies we're already talking about, is are not strangers to social media manipulation and bot accounts. Um, there's a chapter about an earlier attempt to control social media narrative in other countries as well. Yeah, so this one is uh, Operation Earnest Voice. This was an effort uh, by the U.S. Special Operations Command to create a bunch of fake social media accounts and use what we might today call AI, but in their earlier technology would just involve leaving a bunch of comments and basically creating fake avatars and personas online to engage with people. Ostensibly, this is a program that was pointed entirely outwards. It was designed to target people in the Middle East, especially with pro-American messages um, and to sway the conversation about, you know, Iraq and Afghanistan. Uh, and, and, and so again, like they built this whole system, they created this whole thing. The plausible conclusion I think is that they use similar technology here domestically. Uh, but what we do know for certain is that this was a program that was built to just like Mockingbird was using American journalists to kind of push the narrative onto Americans themselves. Uh, earnest voice was an effort to kind of externally promote that same narrative. Uh, an agenda. And so more broadly than that, obviously, with social media uh, manipulation beyond earnest voice, it's what you mentioned with like the Twitter files, where we see that not only uh, do a bunch of former FBI and CIA and other intelligence agency officials now work for these social media companies, and they have for years, which suggests a far stronger connection than we previously existed, uh, but that even setting that aside, the employment of these former spooks you find from the Twitter files and other evidence that there has been significant pressure uh, exerted upon these social media companies by the government itself. It's been a subject of a recent lawsuit that's been working its way through the courts. And um, I think we're going to see more to come because, as you pointed out earlier, Matt, social media is almost like this new landscape of journalism and truth. And I think that's why it's it's uh, under attack to kind of manipulate what what we believe to be true and who we're listening to, who are the voices that we're listening to online. At Kibbe on Liberty, freedom is a lifestyle 24-7, something you live and breathe and wear every day. If that describes you, you need the very best Liberty swag in the market today, just like this shirt I happen to be wearing. Go to freethepeople.org slash KOL and check out our exciting merch. You too can love Liberty and look cool. So we, we have this, or at least we did have this sort of uh, sacred American value of a free press and, and free speech and, and the right to know what's going on. Um, was the free press ever a true thing? Is it, is it an ideal that's, that's constantly been stepped on and abused by the government? That's a, that's a very interesting question. Uh, I look at that question, I suppose, the same way I look at America itself. You know, here we pass the Constitution and we have this kind of grand liberalism of our society. And within years, you have all these factions undermining the very principles uh, that, that you know, were established by these documents. So uh, I think, unfortunately, all institutions inexorably decay and drift leftward. 
Um, and I think it's that, that way with free press. I, I don't know. The, the, the press has become or long has been a power center, a source of information. So, of course, those who want to pull the levers of society are going to try to gain access to control those institutions. I, I can't pinpoint precisely when that control started, uh, but we do have evidence from some of these conspiracies of past uh, efforts to do so. And so, again, I think it's likely to assume that uh, it's happening today. You may have read, uh, Matt, I'm sure you have the the book uh, Propaganda uh, by Edward Bernays, written over a century ago. Short book. I recommend all your viewers read it. It's alarming when you see that over a century ago, here's this guy who cut his teeth in Woodrow Wilson's administration working on propaganda to persuade people to support World War I. He writes this book and you read it and you're like, my gosh, if a century ago before the advent of modern technology, they were this sophisticated and able to deceive people and control what people think and how they acted, one can only imagine what's actually happening today and the, the scope of government programs and efforts today to try and do something similar. So one of my one of my theories, which which I think is at least a little bit truthy, is like so. If you go back to Operation Mockingbird, it, w it was literally the government writing checks directly to compromised reporters. Is that accurate? Yeah. Yeah. And and fast forward to sort of the the collapse of of corporate media, like the Washington Post and New York Times, no longer have that effectively that monopoly with a, a handful of other papers controlling um, not just the narrative but the but the business of of news and and with social media and guys like Greenwald and, and a thousand other guys just like him that old economic model collapsed and the advertising that went along with that collapsed and the ability of of the government to control either directly or indirectly through advertising, collapsed. I think, doesn't that make these media companies extra vulnerable to, to special interests, including government interests who are, who, are, who are basically buying ads on, on all these platforms? I think, it, I think the answer is yes. Uh, but the reason why I think is like, if you're scrapped for resources, if you, if your revenue streams have been hobbled, you still have a core function to perform. You have to report, you have to share information, but your ability to gather it and do deep investigative research and spend months you know, chasing down leads in a story, right? you can't really do that anymore. And so you turn into basically a wire service to copy and paste press releases that are sent to you by others. And, and that's what the media has largely become is repeating without scrutiny the things that they are told by others because so many of them lack the resources and the capacity to investigate, to corroborate, to refute. And so we so often see the media that wants access, let's say, to the White House. They're not going to say anything too mean about the president or the press secretary because then they're going to not get called on and they're not going to get you know their questions asked. And so these incentives in the system minimize the likelihood that any of these people are going to be a watchdog, are going to be investigative journalists. What you do find is that those who who are who are the investigative journalists really going after the truth are sidelined. They are attacked like the Greenwalds of the world. They're denied access. They're pushed to the fringes. And uh, and that's why perhaps I think there are so so few of them because most people would rather sell their soul and preserve access and gain a paycheck. But by the way, the pejorative thrown at guys like that is conspiracy theorists, right? 
It's it's the most delegitimizing thing you can call somebody. Oh, that's just a conspiracy theory. Um, yeah. And and yeah, I think can I can I jump in there? So where the term was popularized, a lot of people don't know this, and I'm forgetting off the top of my head if it was the CIA or the FBI, but it was one of the two. After JFK died, was assassinated. Uh, there was this this document by one of these agencies that's where that term was first popularly employed. The term had previously existed in our lexicon, but had hardly been used. But here, when the government basically said, oh, these people who claim government involvement, we're going to call them conspiracy theorists, that is when this, which is hilarious when you realize that JFK, you know, that the assassination was in fact orchestrated by elements of the government, that they refuse to declassify the material, which is a violation of law that requires them to do so. We didn't include that particular story in here just because we don't yet have those smoking gun documents that would allow us to more concretely say it. But here you have the government employing that pejorative really for the first time to try and brandish all these people who are skeptical of government power. Um, and it was a masterful propaganda stroke that has had decades of, of uh, impact on those seeking the truth. And we'll get into this. I don't want to go down this rabbit hole quite yet, but uh, most recently employed effectively by Anthony Fauci and Francis Collins, um, trying to smear scientists who were who were about to expose what they had done, which is a nice segue to the to the point at the points in the book where I think people are going to be authentically shocked. Um, I did not know about Operation Sea Spray. Um, but it, it sure it sure rhymes with with some of the current feelings I have about about the government science slash public health industrial complex. What on earth was Operation Sea Spray? So Operation Sea Spray was an effort by the government to determine what biological how biological weapons would impact American cities, and so the Navy in San Francisco. Uh, sprayed the the mainland, the city, with a bunch of bacteria. This one was called, and I'm going to pronounce it wrong, Seracia marcensens. Uh, but it was a, a, a bacteria that they sprayed the northern California coast with. There was another one as well, Bacillus globigii. Uh, my science teacher from eighth grade is probably cringing right now if he's listening, uh, trying to pronounce this. So they they spray all this. They would also put them in in light bulbs. And they would go around subways throughout New York City and other cities, and they would they would drop these light bulbs in the sewer. And, and they were trying to identify if, if we spread this bacteria um, uh, in, in various cities and, and different locations, what does the spread look like? This was not a an AI computer model that was trying to you know ascertain that answer. This was a, a real world deployment of a bioweapon for the purposes of studying how a potentially future bioweapon would would happen. Granted, this bacteria compared to other potential biological threats is, is more on the minimal, minimal side. Um, and yet, I mean, this is this is a cancer-causing agents. I mean, people did get sick and die, and nobody had any clue. Uh, everyone who was going to the hospital and reporting sickness and, you know, saying that they were feeling ill, no one at the time had any clue that this uh, was happening and that the government was uh, was was spying on their own people, or not spying, uh, testing bioweapons. In a later congressional hearing was actually uh, Ted Kennedy, who was kind of leading the charge on uh, investigating and, and you know holding the government's feet to the fire. Of course, uh, the military was very reluctant to disclose anything and to, to share anything. But uh, it's, it's, again, one of those things that like no one knew at the time 
that this was happening. And yet it was one of many instances that we know of, of the government conducting medical experiments on, on uh, unsuspecting people who had clearly not given consent. Thank you for joining me today on Kibbe on Liberty and for being part of our fiercely independent audience. Every week, my organization, Free the People, partners with Blaze TV to bring you this show. My guests bring smart perspectives on everything from current events to timeless philosophical debates. If you like what you hear, go to freethepeople.org KOL and support Kibbe on Liberty so we can continue to produce these honest conversations with interesting people. Now, let's get back to it. And what, what year was, uh, this was way, way back. Sea spray was when? This was in the 50s. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it wasn't until the 70s that we learned that they had done this. And it, it kind of reminds me of, of, of some of the, the mad science experiments. You know, I first, uh, you have the next chapter is MK Ultra, and I first learned about MK Ultra fairly recently when I really got into the show Stranger Things. And, mm-hmm. and Stranger Things, if anyone's a fan of it, I, I may spoil parts of it, but um, deal with it. But Stranger Things was um, inspired by some of these mad government science experiments, including mk ultra which just insanely unethical dangerous mad science scientistic um people as lab rats kind of a project what was mk ultra so the backdrop of this is you got the rise of the soviets it's the early 50s and uh president eisenhower newly elected appoints the first civilian director of the CIA. Of course, the CIA, this this post-World War II creation, so the agency itself is fairly new. And Dulles takes over, and weeks into uh, his term of service, uh, he's giving a speech uh, in which he shocks his audience with these tales of Soviet mind control programs and how we in the West are hobbled in our ability to compete against this Soviet brain warfare uh, because, you know, they have this elaborate, horrible program and they're evil people and they're trying to manipulate our minds. America, beware. That was kind of the, the summary of his remarks. The audience is shocked. Everyone's freaking out. Oh my gosh, the Soviets are doing this. Well, what Dulles didn't reveal is that he was in the middle of implementing Project MKUltra, which dwarfed the Soviets' programs in terms of the scope of experimenting on individuals using drugs and electroshock therapy and other uh, tactics to try and condition people's minds to get them to believe and think and express things that they otherwise uh, would not. In some cases, they used prisoners. In other cases, they used unsuspecting individuals who had no clue what was going on. And in some cases, they did have consenting individuals. But this was a, a years-long uh, program that was designed to uh, compete, allegedly, against the Soviets' mind control program. What's fascinating to me, Matt, you, of course, know this, uh, about the role of the the inspector general in, in the government, these kind of watchdog uh, positions that oversee agencies and make sure that everything is you know transparent and happening above board and being audited and so forth. Well, the the inspector general over the CIA not only did not provide any transparency or oversight to make sure that they were following you know ethical guidelines and the law, quite the opposite. The inspector general um, was helping cover it up and and had a memo in which he laments the idea that this could go public. Uh, I'll read a portion here. He says that 
precautions must be taken not only to protect operations from exposure to enemy forces, but also to conceal these activities from the American public in general. The knowledge that the CIA is engaging in unethical and illicit activities, so there's an admission from the Inspector General about the nature of this program, unethical and illicit activities would have serious repercussions in political and diplomatic circles and would be detrimental to the accomplishment of its uh, mission. And so what's amazing about this is that the CIA director in 1973 ordered that all of the records of MKUltra destroyed uh, what few records we have, including that Inspector General report, uh, survived that destruction because they were actually located in another building uh, that nobody knew about until years later someone found uh, found them there. So MKUltra is likely far worse than any of us realize, and it's because the CIA itself destroyed 99% of the files. What we do know is it's self-shocking um, and was happening under Eisenhower's watch. The guy who warned of the military-industrial complex and yet oversaw so much of these activities himself. Now, did Eisenhower know? Do we know if he knew? That's a fair question. He he may not have. I mean, the CIA may have been trying to hide that from the president himself. So uh, it's unclear, and I've not seen anything that confirms that Eisenhower, in fact, knew. I I ask this question to this day, and we, we certainly lived through all of these wildly unconstitutional or extra-constitutional um, use of power by government agencies during um, COVID lockdowns and, and, and perhaps all of the censorship as well. And I, I always wonder whether or not the, the bureaucratic state is really what governs and the president is, is in, in a lot of these cases, a figurehead. I'm not letting anyone off the hook for anything, but I, I wonder who's really in charge, you know? I, I know and I share your views, especially when we have a, a weekend at Bernie's type of uh, president right now. It it really makes you wonder. And I don't think we have to be too speculative when you look at some of these programs in the past. I think they bolster the, the theory that uh, these folks are who are really in control. So when it came to, uh, you know, questions about the the um, uh, imposition and forced uh, taking of, of vaccines and, and the strident attitude that particularly the Biden administration had um, um, forcing people to, to do this or lose their jobs and forcing children to do it or not go to school. Really, really, really offensive stuff that violates one of the core principles that you teach in your book about, about informed consent. Um, the one thing that was always true, and I, th I think it's still true to this day, a lot, of, a lot of black Americans were immediately skeptical of the government um, demanding that they take a vaccine. And that goes to perhaps one of the most famous con true conspiracies in your book, the Tuskegee experiment. Um, really, and, and I learned things reading your chapter, but man, so, so, so brutally, brutally unhuman and, and it happened right here in America. Yeah, and uh, I actually didn't learn about the Tuskegee experiment until a few uh, years ago, Coming going into COVID, the vaccines being pushed. They're saying we need minority communities to get vaccinated. And I believe it was Candace Owens, a black woman herself, who tweeted and said, like, you know, blacks should be suspicious of this. Remember the Tuskegee experiment. I'm like, what's that? So that's when I first uh, in encountered this one myself. Uh, in 1932, the government uh, formed a kind of a research partnership with the Tuskegee Institute, and they experimented on 600 black men 
the majority of which had syphilis and others uh, did not. And the purpose of the research was to identify the effects of untreated, untreated syphilis uh, in individuals. These individuals all thought that they were receiving free health care, these 600 people. For years, they were getting you know, pills and vaccines and so forth. Uh, at the time, there was this perception, this idea of bad blood, that, that bad blood kind of created all these health ills, and so we're treating the bad blood. But they were all deceived to think that they were receiving legitimate health care. And even a few years later, when uh, penicillin comes into the market, about 11 years after the, the experiment was launched, here's this treatment that can you know, remedy syphilis. Well, the government actually goes to all the local doctors and prohibits them from like threatens them uh, against administering penicillin to these patients who were part of this now long-term study. It was originally supposed to be six months. And every time the, the deadline would come up, they would kick the can, kick the can. It went on for 40 years. And a bunch of these people died. Again, the purpose was to not treat the syphilis. And so none of these people received uh, the treatment that they, they needed. And it broke in 1972 40 years afterward with the story in the, in the uh, Associated Press. So then, of course, the you know government oversight boards and committees come in. They find that it was ethically unjustified, and there's some light apologies. I think some of their families may have gotten some form of you know payment as a as a you know crappy apology. Uh, but but here is a, a an example of the government conducting me medical experiments on. Of, of course, it's often on like the the poor, the uneducated, the people who wouldn't know any better. These people were turned into lab rats by the government itself. Uh, and this program operated for decades uh, without anyone stopping it. And and there were m multiple people at all chains of command up and down the the government that were aware of this program and that signed off on it. Um, and so for that reason, the Candace Owens and others of the world, I think, uh, with the COVID vaccine, were rightly skeptical to say, eh, we've, we've been here before. Maybe let's hit the pause button and be a little cautious here. If you've made it this far into the show, it means I must be doing something right. Kibbe on Liberty is just one of the amazing products we created for the people. We tell emotionally compelling stories and produce educational videos for the Liberty Curious. Our award-winning documentaries personalize all things Liberty, independence, creativity, hard work, integrity, and perseverance. After the show, check out our work at freethepeople.org. And if you like what you see, donate to support what we do. That's freethepeople.org. Now back to the show. Yeah, and it, um, I've I've never fully comprehended, and we probably won't know for quite some time, why the, there was this maniacal push towards uh, uh, vaccines during COVID that, that were not only vaccines, but specific vaccines that were co-created by the government itself. But I think, I think you can speculate um, perhaps that um, the same people that viewed um, American citizens as lab rats um, who were not um, worthy of, of having informed consent. Um, it, it doesn't take a, a large leap to, to assume that uh, there's just a big experiment going on to see do these things actually work. Are there side effects? Uh, let's see what happens. Yeah. Again, we've been lied to in the past to believe that we're not being lied to today is is foolish. It's it's the whole uh, you know fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Well, 
if we continue to be deluded and deceived by these people, we ourselves bear a bit of the blame if we're not learning from the past so as not to repeat it in the future. And uh, my hope is that the kids and, and their parents reading this book can at least start to develop that uh, internal kind of firewall around their own mind and say, hang on, I'm not going to implicitly believe what I'm told by people in, in authority. Quite the opposite. I'm going to be initially skeptical to, to quote the the eminent Matt Kibbe I'm going to distrust and then verify. Yes, yeah, so it's already taken hold. <laughs> um, so this, and I got a, I got a, I, I just had, I just did an interview with Rand Paul, who was, who was so heroic and perhaps the first to really call out Anthony Fauci in public about, about gain of function research. Um, and we now, any, anybody that's even slightly serious about the topic, we've all had to become um, investigators and amateur epidemiologists to try to figure out what on earth actually happened during um, the, the COVID pandemic. But, but it's now pretty clear that there was, in fact, uh, American taxpayer-funded gain-of-function research going on in, in Wuhan, China, and God knows where else. Um, but it, all of these other stories inform what I think the real story will emerge as and it's it's probably no accident that that Francis Collins, who was the head of the he was the head of the NIH, Fauci was the head of NIAID, and all these other alphabet public so-called public health agencies, they immediately pounced on anybody suggesting this as a conspiracy theorist, pulling from this playbook that you described so ably before. Um, and as as you sort of peel back the layers of the onions, you're discovering that there's Again, this this uh, national security state-driven um, deep state mad science experiment that um, uh, supposedly has all the best of intentions, right? Like we're gonna we're gonna come up with all of these potential viruses that our enemies could use against us. We're gonna go to the bat caves and we're gonna harvest them, and then we're going to manipulate them in labs, and then we're gonna come up with a solution. And it, it sounds almost absurd on its face to try to anticipate um, an infinite number of iterations of, of deadly viruses that might kill us. And it also sounds like complete fatal conceit to think that you could do this without something slipping out of the lab. But I think, I think, that's, what, I think that's what they did, and I think that's why they so hysterically tried to cover it up in the first place. So when I read your book, and I know you don't, you don't write about COVID because we don't know yet. But when I read your book, it points to um, perhaps the most dangerous and colossal government failure in the history of public health. Well, clearly there's going to need to be a volume two to this book as we continue to learn about more of these examples. And as you were mentioning that, Matt, what struck me is how many of these conspiracies required intentional deception, right? In, in other words, like that, that's the implicit definition, I suppose, of, of conspiracies that you're doing, committing an action that negatively affects others. Uh, and, and therefore you have to conceal the true nature of your activities. One, one that I love to share that I think uh, epitomizes this, this is in the book, is uh, Operation Northwoods. And the way I typically tell the story to new audiences as I say, you know, the, the setting is the Cuban Missile Crisis, the Soviets are at our, you know, back door in Cuba, there's a lot of tensions, and yet the American public did not want to go to war. They did not want to invade Cuba. The, the polling support was very low, no one wanted to trigger World War III, but there was this kind of crackpot fringe group of radical activists 
who uh, did want to go to war. They did think that we needed to intervene, that that was necessary to stop and deter the, the Soviets. And uh, they were trying to figure out how do we how do we rally our fellow Americans to this cause, you know, to increase their desire for, for war. So they came up with an idea. The idea was, you know, what if we kill a bunch of Americans and make it look like, like the Cubans did it? Uh, we'll shoot down a plane, we'll bomb Miami, we'll shoot down exiles fleeing Cuba, but we'll do all of this to make it look like Cubans did it. We'll blame it on them. Americans are going to be enraged. They're going to demand justice and the support for war is going to skyrocket and we're going to be able to achieve our agenda. This this group of fringe crackpot radical activists somehow got an audience with the president of the United States to pitch their proposal. It was JFK uh, at the time. He shot it down and, and that's why it didn't happen. Of course, had it actually happened, had it been approved, I'm sure all of us for decades in our history books would have learned about these horrible atrocities committed by Cuba and no one would have been the wiser. But what we now have is a declassified document of this proposal called Operation Northwoods and that, that or, excuse me, Operation Northwoods and that fringe crackpot group of radical activists I mentioned was the Joint Chiefs of Staff of the United States military and the top leadership of the Department of Defense, the the top leadership that swears an oath to hold the Constitution to protect American lives, literally proposed killing Americans to deceive Americans into voting to send other Americans to war uh, in, in Cuba. And so uh, the, the deception involved, the need to pull the wool over everyone's eyes was the foundational element of this proposal, as with so many of these other conspiracies, to manipulate people into uh, thinking and, and emoting and, and acting in ways that they otherwise might uh, not. I love Ron Paul's quote, right? Truth is treason in an empire of lies. And my heavens, are, are we in an empire of lies? We have been for decades. We are today. Um, as you point out, you know, the stories and the truth with Wuhan and COVID are, you know, even more yet to come out. And we, there's a lot more that we need to learn and, and uncover. But at the root of all this is deception that our own government uh, intends and tries and, and succeeds often in in deceiving us and blinding us to further their their agenda. And so our our I'm working on a separate book right now, uh, not a Tuttleton's one called Mind Wars, and it's all about how we are manipulated, how our minds uh, in this world of deception, how we are being bombarded with propaganda, and what we can do to fortify our minds and actually fight back. And working on that book, working on this book as well, this this conspiracies one. I'm just impressed with how how much of an uphill battle it is, how strong and and large the enemy is, how how I mean to use the matrix analogy, you know, that vast majority of people are just plugged into the system contently and and the few of us who seek the truth and are trying to figure out the true nature of the system, we're few in numbers and too many of our potential allies in this cause don't realize the gravity of the mind war that we are in and the the degree of the deceptions that we're being bombarded with. So wrapping up, I feel like our chief goal has to be red pilling people, has to be getting them to realize the kind of true nature and scope of all this so that they can make more informed decisions. Yeah, like I I, I continue to to hope and I, I think this is true. I, I have a lot of um uh, well-earned faith in the wisdom of crowds and my theory for years, I used to be quite uh, optimistic and almost uh, rosy about 
about the power of, of the internet to, to decentralize knowledge and power and and push all of that back to the end user. And you know, watch, watching what's happening on foreign policy, on COVID policy, on everything else today, it clearly feels like everything is, is manipulated and fake and you don't really know what to, what to trust anymore. But I think we're in the middle of a paradigm shift and, and, and people that are willing to take, take the red pill and create a new media and, and create a new generation of citizen journalists. I think, I think, and I hope, and we have to hope that that's where we end up at the end of this process. I, I think so. I think we need to, there's strength in numbers. We need the, the fact that we can only name Glenn Greenwald and we haven't mentioned anyone else's names. I mean, there's Matt Taibbi and there's others who have kind of proven their mettle, but, but we need more truth tellers. We need, we need to, I mean, we're about to enter this world of, of AI deep fakes and in very short order, we're not going to have any clue what to trust. And I think there's actually a silver lining there because much like with AI in education, where teachers now have no idea if this essay was written by chat GPT or by the student, it's going to force teachers to a higher order of thinking to realize what is actual education and how do we actually test for it? How do we actually optimize for true learning? And so I think it can help us get rid of the fluff and the crud that we've, the, the mediocrity that we've accepted for a long time. I think similarly with journalism and, and with just understanding what's real in the world, we're going to be flooded with so many lies that I think that people are going to have an easier time having an initial position of distrust to just assume that everything is fake, uh, that everything is just manipulated. And out of those kind of ashes of the trust in our society, I think we're going to have some creative solutions. Maybe it's blockchain, maybe it's who knows what, where we're going to be able to identify not only who are the people that we can trust, but how do we know that we can trust them? And so I think I think there is a, a big silver lining, a reason for optimism. I, I I call myself an optimistic pessimist that like I think generally we're going to go through some dark times and some fourth turning style uh, challenges. Uh, but out of that, I have I have long term hope that uh, the ingenuity of of mankind is going to you know help us see through all these crazy crackpots that have been conspiring against us forever and uh, really try and fight for the truth. Connor Boyack's brand new book, The Tuttle Twins Guide to True Conspiracies. Everybody has to read this because it's going to give you some context for everything you're struggling to understand when you read the headlines every morning. And, and we could have gone through a whole bunch of other chapters, but in my recommendation, everybody reads it. And the next time we get together in person, I want to talk more in depth about the Tuttle Twins Project, which are now, how many years into this are you? Uh, 10 years. Uh, we've sold over 5 million books. We're in a dozen languages. Uh, and uh, this this book, this conspiracy book, I think it's our 26th or 27th. So we have books for toddlers, for teenagers, and, and every age in between. And in case I didn't mention it yet, uh, the book, this this book, The Guide to True Conspiracies, uh, is at tuttletwins.com slash conspiracies. Cool. Um, and where can we find... Um your work at Libertas and anything else you want to f shamelessly flack for yourself right now? Well, at your invitation, Matt. Um, so yeah, I run, my day job is I run a think tank. Uh, we work in our home state of Utah and across the country on state level policy reform. So that's libertas.org. Fun uh, fact for those of you at home, Libertas is actually the name of the goddess, the Roman goddess of liberty, our Statue of Liberty. Her name is 
Libertas. And um, so Libertas Institute is our organization. Or you can find me uh, everywhere on social media at cboyak, Connor Boyak. And Tuttle Twins is on Angel as well, right? The cartoon, yeah. So we are in season two now of um, the Tuttle Twins cartoon. We actually greenlit season three, which is super exciting to keep it going. And <clears throat> excuse me. So that's all for free on Angel Studios. You can access it on your computer, your Roku, your Apple TV. It's totally free, no subscription required. And it's hilarious. The writing team is a bunch of comedians that uh, with me and, and the showrunner, Daniel, uh, we just crack jokes and teach freedom and it's a blast. Awesome. Okay. Well, uh, we'll get to the bottom of who killed JFK next time, but uh, thank you. Thank you so much for doing this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Matt. Appreciate it. Thanks for watching. If you liked the conversation, make sure to like the video, subscribe, and also ring the bell for notifications. And if you want to know more about Free the People, go to freethepeople.org.